Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, uh, that was a pretty weird situation. Afternoon game, which the Oilers mm-hmm. won in fine fashion with some spectacular plays. Um, against the team that they've absolutely dominated, I guess. I guess Ottawa looks like an NHL team most nights, but against the Oilers, they tend to look like an AHL team this year, at least. Uh, the Oilers uh, they won the game four-two, uh, and they had 16 grade A chances to nine for the Senators. So, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And because it's a juicy Oilers win, we'll go with two good things each. Why don't you start it off? Sure. I'm going to go with the obvious choice of the uh, game's first star, Leon Dreisaitl, and his uh, uh, monster contribution of three goals, one one primary assist for four points in the 4-2 Edmonton win. And uh, just, I thought he was terrific for most of the game. Uh, he came out just flying on the very first shift of the game. He made a great end-to-end rush that uh, and passed to McDavid in the early going that said, you know, we're, we mean business here. And uh, he and Coach Tippett made a, the decision that Ottawa just wasn't going to be able to stop his big guys together on one line. And Coach Tippett was correct that they were not going to be able to stop his two big stars on one line. Uh, McDavid was flying, and Drysaddle was hitting him with uh, with passes. A uh, uh, nice breakout pass to sent McDavid off for a nice rush in one play. Another time where uh, uh, they just kept finding each other. I mean, the two of them had between them four goals and four primary assists <laughs> on the four goals that the team scored. Three were Drysaddle from McDavid. One was McDavid from Drysaddle. And it's just astonishing. Anyway, um, he fired, uh, he, he labeled a one-timer uh, to open the scoring on a power play in the first period. This after being stopped a couple of times by a uh, uh, impressive, I thought, Marcus Hogberg in the Ottawa cage, who Oilers had lit up on three earlier occasions. But I thought the kid played hard and played well and made a number of good saves. But there was no stop in that drive from Leon. And there certainly was no stop in the second drive from Leon, late in the second, that put the orders ahead a second time, two to one, when uh, McDavid fed him down. He had both his feet planted below the goal line, right in the corner, and he, the puck came on a stick about a foot above the goal line from, like, almost all the way over to the boards, and just, bam, right inside the, well, right inside both posts, right from that angle. Like, it's like... Uh, <clears throat> The, the angle of the post, I mean, they're just like this from where he was shooting, and he had not, not much to shoot at. He hit it with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball one-timer uh, from uh, almost impossible angle. We were joking that it was a grade-A chance from a grade-C location, but because it was a one-timer and the, goal, and the goalie, frankly, had no chance. That one was so well executed. Yeah, he had the uh, bat control of Rodney Carew. Rod Carew there, Bruce, <laughs> on that one. Put it anywhere he wants. 
Then, then in the, the third, uh, Leon was one of five participants in the phenomenal virtuous cycle that led to McDavid scoring the winning goal that we'll speak at more length about later in the podcast. Uh, and he made the nice, the Oilers, that whole sequence, it took him a while to break through, but the little misdirection play to get McDavid again in open ice with room to do something with it. And, and Connor looked after the rest. And then finally, uh, uh, Leon, A, won a big face-off in his own zone with under 30 seconds to play, and then finally hit the open net with a shot from center with one second on the clock to complete the hat-trick for the for the free extra point for each of the big boys. But uh, <coughs> we'll, we'll take it. So all in all, I mean, they, they, got, they, they were running around in their own zone on one long shift, and they were burned on a goal against where where um, uh, I didn't really see either the, the big two at fault, but uh, the, the line got scored on. But uh, for the most part, they uh, they dominated play and they created n- much more dangerous chances than the the ones that they gave up. Let's put it that way. On that on the opening goal, Bruce, did Ottawa ever blow it on the penalty kill? The one thing that you must not allow. On when you're shorthanded against the orders as a cross scene pass to Leon Dreisaitl. And they left that. It was, the Royal Road was wide open for business. It was wide open. And, and it wasn't even close. McDavid didn't even have to try on the pass almost. It was just zip right through and pam in the net. And you just, that was a disastrous uh, shorthanded situation. Uh, my good thing, Bruce, mm. um, is first is Miko Koskinen. Mm-hmm. And um, he wasn't, through the game, he wasn't called on necessarily to, you know, nine grade A chances, two goals against. It's kind of about what you'd expect. But I, it was one of those situations where I was starting to get the sense was he was getting more confident and more solid as the game went on. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think he was at fault on either of the goals. Uh, the the one the first goal obviously is a bang bang play in the slot and the second one's a screen shot from the high slot that um, uh, that he didn't doesn't see initially so um, shot. maybe he it was a great shot and it was a screen shot maybe you know maybe he could have had that one I don't know but that that would have been a a tough save but as the game went on and uh, I'm thinking oh he's 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 playing pretty well here he looks confident he's uh, making all the saves. And then in the last minute of the game, he he jumps ahead to top of the charts in, in my eyes because there's two absolutely great A chances. Um, one of them a five alarm chance, I think, at the side of the net, and uh, Koskinen saves both of them. He saves he that you know he's essentially Can saves the sa- saves the win, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. that's what a goalie that's what he's paid to do, and. Um, Good for you, Miko Koskin. And he needed to do that because pe- people are on his case. They're looking for any little thing. That's funny. When the first goal w- went in, I thought Koskin had caused it. Uh, I thought it was some kind of wraparound player. It went in off of him. And I was thinking, oh, Jesus, this is so typical. It didn't turn out to be the case. But um, that, that's how I think quick I am, at least, to, to start to look for mistake, mistakes with Koskin. And, and, and um, he, but. He came up and had another good game, and he's had a number of them. He he uh, mm-hmm. he's not playing poorly; he's playing okay, and uh, that's what you want from a backup goalie. I'd suggest. 
Well, he's now 4-0-0 oh, oh against the Senators this year, and he won the games by scores of 4-2, 3-2, 3-2, and 4-2. And he's, you know, held them to two and under, and the Oilers basically scored three real goals in each game, and it was enough to win. And he, you know, wasn't spectacular, you wouldn't say, uh, but he did his job, and he didn't allow the, the, the critical goal or the tying goal in any of those games, and I would say tonight, especially when he uh, when he bricked up the uh, front of the net there in the last thirty seconds, uh, that was that was enormous. I'd say he was almost Just, as enormous as he is. He he seems like a he he really does come across as the gentle giant, doesn't he? And mm-hmm. uh, I I really am rooting for the guy. He seems like a his puck moving like you can see he's trying to pick up on the things yeah. that Smith does. He's, he's not quite tonight. as fast. Yeah, but he's he's getting it a little bit, yeah. isn't he? Like he's getting yeah. noticeably better. Like he's not Smith, but he was po- he was moving the puck positively, making good decisions. So he's got that same old nine oh three save percentage, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think they factored in. Yeah, they have factored in tonight's game, and that that might seem a little bit terrible, but we can always console ourselves, Bruce, that Jacob Markstrom has an eight ninety eight save percentage this year. Mm-hmm. There you go. I like to mention that now and then. I don't know why, but it just pops in my head. Uh, not necessarily to Ken Holland's credit, because he wanted to sign that him for seven years. Anyway, maybe maybe it's not Markstrom. Maybe it's the team over there. What is your second good thing? Uh, I'm going to single out the, well, triple out the, the line, the 14-15-16 line, Devin Shore and Josh Archibald on the wings with uh, Jujar Kara in the middle. And I thought they had a terrific game tonight, a hard-nosed game. Uh, all three men were uh, were solid on the penalty kill. Uh, and they created some chances. And uh, they played physical hockey. Uh, Jujar Kara in particular, uh, he had um, uh, a terrific shift in, in the first period when... Uh, well, he rang a, a wicked wrist shot off the crossbar from... And but there's a little space on, over uh, Hogan's shoulder on the short side, and he rang a rocket off the, off the crossbar. But just before that, he'd made a play to set up uh, one of his line mates. Now, who was it? Uh, you probably got the document open in front of you. Sorry. And it was... Uh, uh, da, 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 da. The wrong what game period? Uh, first period. Right before, right before he hit the crossbar. Anyway, he he was handling the puck with a plum. Uh, he was uh, uh, playing uh, with his usual uh, physicality, and three out of seven in the faceoff dot. But the the line they had eight hits among them, and they dominated on the shot clock by uh, let's just pick um, uh, Jujar Kara. 12 shot attempts to five, six shots to two while they were on the ice and absolutely nothing in the way of, of trouble in their own end of the ice. And then, on, the, like say, on the penalty kill, uh, they were looking to do damage. I mean, not just Kara. I mean, sure, he had two great chances on the penalty kill uh, and one really nice one where he cut into the middle and uh, uh was it PK? Maybe that was even strength, where Larson kind of barged up the middle and, and uh, Shore held the puck and then rang a shot off the off the goalpost. And he also yeah. landed 
he also landed a wicked check. That guy's bigger than than I realized that he was. He's got he's got a heavy body, and this was a heavy kind of game. And that whole line, you know, when you got Shore throwing his weight around, and Archibald, you know, four hits, another night at the office for him, and Kara. I mean, that's a lot of physicality on one line, and and uh, they are the order's most physical line because uh, they're they're. Their would-be physical leader is missing in action in that department. But uh, I'm talking about Zach Cassian up front. Uh, their physical leaders on the back end clearly are Larson and Nurse. But up front, you'd expect Cassian to be leading that charge. But tonight it was the Kara archibald shoreline, without a doubt. I thought all three guys played well, and I'm going to grade them highly. Devin Shore is kind of... I, I didn't like him at centre, in the end, like maybe for the first game, he played well, but he, I don't think he's got the hockey IQ defensively or the mm-hmm. fundamental play, however you want to put it, to, to be the center, which is a really hard position to master in the at the NHL level. But he is a, he is a strong winger and mm-hmm. um, plays a power game. He's fast. He's big. He's got some offense. He's, I think he's earning another contract at this point, Bruce. Like it's a little premature to say that, but he's, that's what I was thinking tonight as I'm watching the game. I'm thinking, I like this player. He's doing well consistently. He's fit in on this line. This line's got something going on. Um, this is working. His work on the PK, I think, is getting a little bit better. Um, his positional play on the PK. So, yeah, good for for sure. The, you brought up Cassian and his lack of physical play, Bruce. It was driving me crazy tonight. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we did a, I did a poll called the Hockey uh, Poll and um, asking fans if they – thought Cassian should be waived and about 61% of fans said he should be waived. So this is a player who has been a massive fan favorite in the past. But if we're completely honest, I don't know anyone who would say that since he signed that new contract that he's, that he's had more than there's been a scattering of good games and there might be like one in five or one in 10. And he's Mm -hmm. in one of these slumps that he's been in, in the past uh, where he just is, you just you, well, people want to see him traded or waived. They, they'd be right now. People would be overjoyed if the Oilers were able to trade him away and not take too big of a poison pill. Tippett uh, talked about him positively in the post game, and I saw him positively in about the last six or eight minutes of the game. I thought he had a couple of decent shifts, but I was not impressed in a game where young Brady Kachuk was throwing his weight around left and right, giving Drysaddle a face wash into the ice in a scrum that he invented, or mashing Pugliarvi behind the goal line in the most Kachukian of fashions, where Yessa was engaged with the defenseman, and all of a sudden the big winger comes out of nowhere and just smears him. And I was expecting and hoping for a physical response from Cassian. And, you know, not not going overboard but you know he had two hits and you know neither of them were anything special and he had his usual zero shot attempts like not like david he's in his last 14 games that cassian has four shots on goal in 14 games four shots it's like Uh. no offense at all it's like I'm going to dangle and, and be a playmaker, and every once in a while he makes a pass, but drive the net once in a while, man. With that speed and size, drive the net. Don't button hook because a defenseman is over there. Put your shoulder into him and take it to the net. Use your God-given talents. 
Yeah, you brought up that Kachuk hit on. <laughs> you brought up that Kachuk hit on Puliyarvi. Mm-hmm. My bad thing was almost at that point going to be Keith Kachuk, because someone has <laughs> taught. You you hardly ever see that play in the NHL where where someone's looking for that hit, where a forward's mm-hmm. creeping down and he's looking for the forward who's coming around the net and he's he's looking to get him in that blindside moment. The only other player I've seen do that was Matt Kachuk on on uh, Zach Cassian, and now we see. Um, Rafi Torres. Other... <laughs> Who's that? Oh, Rafi Torres. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they were... But I don't remember Keith Kachuk doing that as a player, but maybe he taught his sons to look for that hit. But it is a nasty... That is a nasty play. It's a nasty blindside. It's it's legal. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I I have to admit that. And there I have a... If I probably would also admit if it was an oiler administering that hit to a player on another team, I would love it. So that's that's the... So I'm not consistent on this, but I I just I hate to see Oilers hit that way because it is a dangerous hit. Well, Ottawa Ottawa picked up the physicality in the middle period, and I will say Nurse went in and defended Drysaddle rather vigorously after that, that after that uh, face wash into the ice that uh, I didn't like much at all. Um, but I would that was a time for all hands on deck, and and it was like another night at the office for 44 and i mean when the other team is getting in your star's face like that you know what to do right you should know what to do they're paying you 3.2 million dollars to do it so indeed uh you picked Kara bruce i was thinking of Kara too as my i was just seeing him good all game long so confident mm-hmm. with the puck it just hit me mm-hmm. again and again that he was holding the puck looking to make plays and i just rem- and i remember um when he was playing poorly, uh, just before he got waived, or or in about that time, I think I, I was. That's what I was craving to see. That if Jujar Kara was gonna fail, that mm-hmm. he failed going for it. You know that he tried to make a play instead of just throwing right. the puck away because he was just constantly throwing the puck away, and it had been happening for a year. Mm-hmm. It, this it hadn't been a new problem, and it was just ongoing. So I just started to crave because I remember seeing the player that we saw tonight. This is the player we actually saw in the AHL. That level of skill with the puck, making plays, and you what you know the, the hope is that eventually a player acclimatizes to the NHL, builds up his game, and starts to look a little bit like the player that that they were at a, at a lower level. And this this is the first time really that I'm really getting that strong feeling from Kara that he's achieved that level that he was at at the AHL, which was to be his his upper limit. I think was as a third line center in the NHL and he's there. He that's what he is right now for the Edmonton Oilers. He had just a he had strong two-way game. Keyword strong. He's a beast. And yes. But he's gotten better with the puck. You know, I, I just saw in my notes so just before he rang the bar, the play that impressed me was a, a deft little wall pass that sprang Archibald and Shore on a two on one. And Archibald made the pass across the shore and the defenseman made a great defensive play, just tip it away just before Shore was gonna have a real good whack on that, but the pass that sprang him a little dump off the wall to send him in, gorgeous. And then there was another sequence where Kara handled and passed off the puck four different times, and you know, to four four pass receivers, and you know, he sort of it was in the center of the uh, of the action and making good positive plays with the puck. So, His uh, points per sixty at at. Um... Five on five, Bruce, is the mm-hmm. third best on the team after McDavid and Drysaddle. McDavid's third in the league and Drysaddle's 16th in the league. This is before tonight's game, I should say. 
Kara is 63rd in the NHL for forwards, 63rd out of 413 for regular forwards in the NHL at 2.2 two points How many minutes was your cutoff? 200? 150. 150 minutes. So, um, you know, we have, so Kara, 2.2. Ryan Nugent Hopkins versus at 1.2. Jesse Pugliarvi at 1.2. So um, there's some puck luck involved in in all of those numbers. Uh, Pugliarvi and Nugent Hopkins have had some some bad luck uh, on the attack, not getting more points and goals. But um is killing it. Bruce, I'll go to my good second good thing, and he's also going to be my bad thing, but my, uh, it's Connor McDavid. He was just flying tonight. He was in on uh, 10 grade A scoring chances tonight, which is a pretty good uh, night's work for any player. In fact, hardly any other player on the orders ever reaches that level in a, in a game in the season, except for Drysaddle will do it now and then. Mm-hmm. But McDavid does it probably about... I don't know. Every tenth game, he'll have he'll have a game uh, like this tonight. So he, beautiful. He he starts the game with a, a great rush up the ice where he splits two defensemen, gets a breakaway chance, and and almost scores. He finds Drysaitel for the first goal. He finds him for the the second goal. Um, he's dangerous on the power play in the first. He breaks in again. Another breakaway, partial breakaway uh, late in the first period. Um, then that incredible shift, uh, where they, they scored the, where they scored the go ahead goal in the third period, just, Mm -hmm. just this monstrous shift. And honestly, I I was really hoping they would score and I was thinking they're not going to score because that would just be too good, but it was too good. It became too good. And McDavid got the puck and swooped in there and, um, uh, whipped around everyone and put a top shelf. You know, he's just, he was flying tonight. Some nights I think Bruce that his skate blades are made out of dilithium crystals or something like that because he's moving so fast out there. He was slicing through the D tonight, wasn't he? He sure and, was. And he, he had sure like was. two or three like jam plays in close where he just cut right through the defense that was in front of him and uh, uh, created something out of nothing almost a couple times. And, and, uh, on that goal, you could see it coming, and once he got the puck with that little bit of space, I thought, "Finally, here we go!" And then, sure enough, one little cut and a perfect shot under the bar, boom, game winner, game winning goal. So my, I'll just go right to the bad thing. It happens in the last minute, and he, <laughs> he gets the puck in the slot, and I think, like you, maybe it just slipped off a stick. You could say maybe it was just like a fumbled puck, and it could happen to anybody. But it looked to me, Bruce, like he was thinking, "Goal, goal, goal." Uh, instantly, which is a normal thing to think if you're Connor McDavid, I'm sure. But what you should be thinking is hack that puck out of here, like get that puck out of here, maybe like, and instead he turns it over right in the slot. And two, you know, Ottawa could have tied, tied the game because of his mistake. So whatever was going on in his head, we, we, right. we don't know. All we know is that he failed to execute yeah. and um, he failed to execute. And because of that, in a, in a very key moment, when you need players to execute defensively, he didn't get it done. And it led to two grade A chances against. If it was any other player, we'd be screaming bloody murder. If it, if it was Caleb Jones right now, there'd be, you know, there'd be a, a, a <laughs> let's not get into it. Uh, but it, with McDavid making it, like he, he deserves some heat for that. So that's my bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's good thing and bad thing. The bad thing was a play. 
the good thing was his play for the whole rest of the game, really. But that yeah. that one fumble, like he got a he he had Leon breaking, and they and they were going to clear the zone and probably score, but he fumbled the puck, and that's a bad place to be doing that ten feet in front of your own net with thirty seconds left in a one goal lead. But uh, but uh, he uh, he uh, got away with it. Bruce, what's where are we now? Your bad thing. Well, you yeah, you went ahead from your good thing to your bad thing. Yeah, what's your bad thing? And I had something bad. What I have bad out of this game? Oh, the first goal. Oh, the first Ottawa goal. Yeah, yeah. This was after Edmonton played a pretty terrific first period. They outshot Ottawa seventeen seven. They outchanced them grade eight. Chance eight to three. Uh, they had a well deserved one nothing lead. Easily could have been two nothing. They had five great chances on that one power play the end of the first and then they came out in the first uh, how many seconds uh, 25 seconds of the second period and that whole first period was wasted and it was wasted because of uh, of um, just some sloppy soft play uh, sloppy being uh, Tyson Berry having the puck on his stick breaking out of the zone and missing what should should be for a man of his position description an absolutely routine pass that he, he put ahead of Dreisaitl and directly to Ottawa, and they poured back in over the Edmonton blue line. So instead of the puck going north, it was coming right back south at them. And Ottawa had it in the Edmonton zone for a little bit, and uh, Thomas Shabbat went up the boards and around Jessup Pugliarvi, uh too easily. And mm-hmm. Shabbat's Pugliarvi's man, right? I mean, he's yeah. the right, right winger and the left point man's his his man. And he was trying to make another play with another player in the territory, but his job was to was to hang with Shabbat and probably just take him to the boards. And, you know, maybe the puck goes through, but the player shouldn't go through with it the way Shabbat did. And so he then had free reign to go in and circle the net and he made a quick centering pass, which Josh Norris was able to tap home because Darnell Nurse was doing a, frankly, soft job of covering Norris in front of the net. He did not take his stick, and uh, it turned sort of not quite a nothing play, but, a, you know, wasn't that promising of a play. And all of a sudden, the guy's basically scoring from the edge of the crease because the defenseman hasn't boxed him out, hasn't taken his stick, and it was just... But they came out a little bit sleepy for the start of the second. Bam, lead gone. And yeah, there was enough sort of sort of weak plays in there that uh, that uh, I'm, I'm going to single that out as my bad thing. The same thing happened at the start of the third. You know, kind of a weak back check. I know Dominic Cahoon didn't exactly get on his horse, and uh, it was and they they uh, tied it up again there. Uh, where are we now? Okay, I will... door the window. Yeah. Bruce, it's time for our numbers. Uh, do you have your number handy? 41. Uh, I do. Uh, I'm going to go with the number 41. Yeah. And that's the number of points scored by Leon Dreisaitl plus Connor McDavid in eight games against Ottawa Senators this year. Wow. They play eight games and the, the, the deadly duo has averaged over five points a game between them. In these games, including tonight's eight-point performance, so basically all of these games, it's all year long, they've been they've been pumping in the goals and points. And Leon now has 21 against uh, 
Ottawa and Connor 20. And they showed a list during the game of guys against the rest of the league. Connor had 16 against Calgary. He was next on the list. And then it was Mika Zibanejad against Philadelphia that he had two six-point games in a row against Philadelphia. And he had 15 on the year against Philly. And even with those two six-point games, like he's way back of what uh, McDavid and Drysaddle have done to the poor lowly senators. Hapless senators, that's the word. This is the time for the word hapless. And uh, <laughs> Maybe after tomorrow night's game is the time for that. And, and oh, for me to call yeah. them an AHL, AHL team after tomorrow night's yeah, game, good, we're, good, we're both getting ahead of ourselves. Good, good point by you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I have lots of time for Ottawa. They're a tough team. They play hard, they don't quit. And they've given almost all the other teams in the conference plenty of grief. And Edmonton has just been able to, you know, there's been a lot of close games. I mean, those scores I gave you earlier, there's been a few games that were right down to the death that uh, they were hanging around. And they have good young talent, but they have, you know, there's holes, obviously. Yeah. Is Calgary, are Calgary and Vancouver eliminated from the playoffs yet? I guess they are statistically almost eliminated. Edmonton's got 50 points in 40 games. Vancouver has 35 points in 37 games. And uh, Calgary has 35 points in 40 games, but it's 15 points fewer than the Oilers. The Oilers wow. have a 625 um, winning points percentage, and Calgary has a 438 points percentage right now. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. No, I think My we're number. pretty close to home and cooled out. We just got, you know, make sure you don't. Bl- drop into some kind of a bad losing streak or blow too many games that you should win. And, you know, when they blew that game in Montreal the other night, my thinking was, okay, you cut it off at one, you got to go out and win the next game after that. And they did that to me. There are 24 wins and 16 losses um, Mm. in total. So they're eight wins above real 500, which is a great accomplishment for an NHL team at this point in their season. Usually this would be about the halfway mark, obviously. After 40 games. So, Bruce, my number is 30. And it that is the number of passes in the sequence, third period sequence on the Oilers' third goal, which starts off with Darnell Nurse making a great block mm-hmm. on a shot in his own zone. Dangerous. And then McDavid picking it up. And they get into these, the zone. And how many how many seconds were they in the zone, Bruce? Well, they crossed the brew line at 7.48, and the puck finally went in the net at 6.06. So yeah. one minute, 42 seconds of uh, zone time. And it was uh, the Nurse Barry, uh, McDavid, Pugliarvi, mostly dry settle, although uh, Cassian was out there originally on the line change. In fact, I think it was Cassian who made the zone entry here key the zone entry and then he he was involved in the first cycle and he got off and Leon came on and they cycled and cycled and cycled and cycled some more and there was a couple players who I thought like they they all, obviously it's Nurse and Barry and um, they're out there and they both made some nice passes and so did McDavid McDavid made a brilliant finish mm-hmm. the uh, the players and Drysaddle was the best player on the ice during that sequence he made a number of very uh of incredible passes, you know, he he just would spot someone way across the ice and go across the and he hit them with it. He did that once or twice. He, his passing on that was was miraculous. It's just 
classically on dry saddle. But the other player who really stood out was Yasa Puliyarvi. Yep. Because a couple times, at least two or three times, he can be kind of nervous with the puck. Like he's he mm-hmm. he still lacks confidence playing with these big players, which is not su- surprising at all. And sometimes you can start to think: is he is he ever going to calm down and settle down and start putting up some points and uh, draining shots and making better plays with the puck, or is he just going to keep you know flubbing it away now and then and looking a little nervous out there, even the, even as he does a good job moving the puck to McDavid and forechecking, but suddenly he just the confidence started to come. And, and this is the player that we're going to see, I hope, more and more. He gets the puck. He protects the puck. He uses his body. He waits. He makes a great pass. And he does it once, twice, maybe three times in that sequence. Yeah, he was. Good. He looked every bit the equal of the other great players on the ice in that moment. And he and he rose to the occasion of that of that uh, incredible, thrilling, offensive zone. One hundred and was one hundred and forty six. Did you say? A minute and 42 seconds. minute and 42 seconds of Euler glory. Um, in the zone. He, was, he was right in there looking every bit at home with those great players. So I really love to see that. And, uh, and his crashing of the boards was a, a critical component to them keeping the puck in at least yes. twice in there. Where he didn't win it outright, but he prevented Ottawa from clearing by just getting right on the guy with the puck and and creating some chaos that Ottawa couldn't make a clean clear. And then one of Edmonton's uh, skilled players would make some play to, to, you know, intercept the shootout or, you know, prevent it from from getting across the blue line ever. It just stayed in that zone. Yeah. And the Ottawa players, I don't know how long they were out there before the minute and 48 because it was, you know, they'd had the puck down in Edmonton territory just before. So I, I'm sure they were probably all on there for more than two minutes, and they were whipped. So I got to watch that <laughs> sequence again, and watch specifically watch the Ottawa players and see what they're doing by the end of it, because it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, time time ticks a lot more slowly when you're not the team with the puck. They were starting to slice them open with crossing passes as it went along more and more. I don't know how many crossing passes there were. I should have counted that. Uh, in that sequence, but there was a number of them, maybe three or four. And um, so, Bruce, there was there was a previous fantastic sequence, which also ended in a goal, which, um, what was it, 10 games ago, maybe? Mm-hmm. And um, how many passes? There was so 25 there... passes that time, and it was a minute. So there was, okay. uh, that, that, so this one was a longer possession, and I, I didn't count the passes, but tonight there was also a couple of shots that missed the target, but Three, the Oilers recovered, shots, it, yeah. recovered it and kept the cycle going. So, Pulley-Arvey had a really good shot that missed the net, almost scored, and then Nurse had one too. So there was two missed shots, and then there was McDavid's shot. And I, as I counted it, and it's, it's, it's a little bit debatable, but I think there's about 30 passes in there. So... Yeah, they 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 bettered themselves, which is which is amazing because that first one was was equally grand, or was was also grand. This is this was even a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, are we? We've got another game tomorrow. to Messi, eh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this this was a messy finish, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Clean yeah. finish, depending on how you want to put it, but yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What a what a nice goal to to finish it all off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice game winner. That was Connor's eighth game winner of the season, by the way. So, so Bruce, Leon's got six. So, 
I, I want to ask you something. I did another poll where we asked fans whether they'd trade the first pick and mm-hmm. and and an unwanted contract to get a winger for McDavid. And they would probably have to add, like the poll didn't, I should have said, and probably another prospect, because you'd have to add in another prospect, like, you know, Samarukov or Ryan McLeod or someone like that, like a good, very good prospect, like those two players are, you'd have to add in to make such a trade. There, there, um, I didn't add hmm. that in, but there was, there around. seemed, there seemed to be a lot of openness for trading the first pick uh, for Motor fans. What's your thought on it? Would you? If you could get the right player to fit in with McDavid, would you make that trade? Well, if he was affordable and controllable some way or another, as in he either had more than just the rest of this year on his contract or he's an RFA at the end of it uh, and he's the right player, you'd have to think about it. Um, if it's a rental, first-round pick is a mighty steep p- price to pay for a rental unless you're also somehow including in your salary equalization that you're dumping a unwanted salary. Uh, and then all of a sudden that first round pick is, you know, uh, I mean, one idea I heard floated was uh, Neil's contract, the first round pick, a prospect to uh, Buffalo for Hall, you know, where they're clearing out contract to make room for the incoming one. And of course, he's, uh, if, as a straight rental, not worth the first round pick as a general rule, but as a, uh, um, you know, as a, as a more complex transaction, then maybe because, uh, you know, Buffalo really wants to, I think they're going to tear it down and they want to add first round picks and high picks. Yeah, they, they could, you could see the, like, I think that the prospect would have to be anyone but Holloway, Broberry or Bouchard, right? And mm-hmm. then you you can have your pick of any of the other prospects, essentially. And it would probably be Samarukov or McLeod or maybe Le, uh, uh, Raphael Lebois. It's hard to know. Uh, exactly what the other team would pick, but you'd you'd have to, I think, in a deal like that, give up a pretty good player because Neil's got what three years left, I think, on that contract. So two more years, just two more. Okay, yeah. yeah well, we're getting close. We're getting close there, Bruce, uh, to something that that might make sense. I mean, listen, the way I, I I'm not, I'm in favor of it. I'm mm-hmm. of of the making a deal. If, like you say, if if they can work something out with the player to keep him a little bit longer, that would be even better. And I'm not sure that's Taylor Hall that they should be aiming yeah, for. No, that's the name that came up. In yeah. Example, so, but sure. a player, you know, there's Raquel from Anaheim is another name that's, that's bandied about. And I'm I'm not watching or scouting any of these players, so I don't really have a strong opinion. I can look at their scoring numbers and and make a, a guess about their how they're doing offensively. But but I I am open to them making this trade. I think. What you have here on the Oilers right now, Bruce, is you have not only a number one center, you have a number two center, who are the two best players, two of the best f- three or four players in the league. You have the best player and then another one who's who's close to that. You have a number one goalie in Mike Smith, who's actually playing like a number one goalie. And you have a number one de- defenseman in Darnell Nurse. All of the main pieces of a championship team are there right now. And we don't know what their goaltending is going to be like in the future. But Mike Smith is doing this right now, and I think it changed. For me, it changes the equation. I think they could win the Stanley Cup. Do I think that they have a good chance? No, but I but I do think that they're one of ten teams that have a, a of a decent shot at it. And if they get hot, they can win the cup. They're not going to get hot though if they don't get a little bit better. I, I'm content with the bottom line players. They're going to have to figure out a way to get it done on defense. Some of those defensemen are going to have to step up, but I do think they need another forward, a shooter to play with Connor McDavid. And I think if they get... 
go ahead. Sorry, a couple names came off the board here tonight. Um, New Jersey and Islanders made a big trade. Palmieri. And, uh, Palmieri and uh, Travis Ajak wow. went from uh, New Jersey to Long Island. And uh, uh, first round pick went the other way and a conditional pick and I think a prospect. But um, Palmieri and, I mean, Zajac kind of, you know, you talk about your right shot um, veteran center. So, I mean, that, that they solved two different problems that the Oilers are trying to solve with that uh, acquisition. Big difference being that Islanders put Anders Lee on long-term injured reserve a while back, done for the season, and he was making, I think, $7 million. So they had lots of cap space. So they just had to, uh, uh, they just had to, uh, to uh, find a price tag to bring in these players, and I think they're both UFA at the end of the year. But I don't know that for like I haven't dug into the trade in detail. But uh, Islanders are clearly tr- thinking of making a run at it this year, and so they should. Well, are they? Uh, but do they have a better chance than the Oilers to win in the cup? So um, maybe they went to the conference finals last year and. Say Jack, no. what's he at? Say Jack's actually had really good scoring this year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Bruce. He actually—it's amazing. He—he he must be on a hot run, but he's um, 40th for even strength scoring, five-on-five five scoring in the NHL this year for forwards. 40th, 2.44 points per game, and Palmieri is Palmieri is well, he's not doing so well. He's at 1.2. He's in the Nugent Hopkins territory. He's got 17 uh, points. Zajac's got 18, but uh, Palmieri's been a consistent scorer for a number of years, and I think Palmieri's was, assuming he'll come around. But uh, let's come on the power play. So you yeah. know, yeah, I. So there's a first round pick. It's going to be in the 20s this year. It's it's supposed to be not a great draft. Like it's a it's an iffy draft. I know the Oilers don't have other picks, um, but. That kind of draft pick probably has like a one in three chance of being a good NHL player, one in four chance maybe being a good NHL player. Um, and this is Connor McDavid is in his prime. Leon Dreisel's in, in his prime. As I, as I say, all these other pieces are there to make a run. You're, you're a, who knows? You might be renting. For all we know, they're renting Nugent Hopkins and Barry right now. This right. is, I don't, I'm not, there, there's a big narrative right now. Well, and, Ken Holland and and the people in the you know, people in the media like well he, his hands are tied he can't do anything, and you know it's good to if if it, if if you're Holland it's good to undersell right you don't want to oversell mm-hmm. what you're going to do undersell it and uh, maybe over deliver, and then there's last year where we traded two second orders traded two second round draft picks for FNSU and it blew up on them, so mm-hmm. that's hanging over Holland's head and and often these trades don't work I know that but I just I like this team. Um, enough to, and I and I just think they need this other element. That's the other thing. Unless you know, because partly because the coach won't go to the dynamite line to see if they have a different element within, which is a whole different different story, which I bring up every podcast. But I, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see them. I'd like to see them make a trade, and I'm open to them doing that on the right deal. So, see what he can do. I, I doubt it's going to happen, but I'm hoping it does. Well, that that deal tonight will unlock the doors for you know probably other moves, right? Now the the Islanders, for instance, are out of the market for Taylor Hall. They've done their thing to bring in a scoring winger, and they've used their cap space. Uh, so there's one less suitor, but 
there's also one less available player. The Oilers aren't going to get Kyle Palmieri off the Islanders the way they might have got him off the Devils. They got two players for one first pick. First pick and some prospect, which I don't even remember the guy's name. Um, so, but he might be a good prospect and a conditional third or fourth round pick. So, yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, if if the orders are moving out, of the, and you know they have to move out a bad contract, the the Leafs had to had to pay the price of a first pick to move out Marlowe's contract for one year. So two years of Neil, um, that wouldn't be cheap to move out. Uh, I wonder if there's a team that might be more open to Zach Cassian. Uh, and, you know, not seeing him necessarily as, as great value, but, but a missing component of toughness on, on the team that the, on their team that might make them more open than they might be for James Neal. So, and the other option is Koskinen, right? If they could trade, you know, Koskinen is another option. They have Stalock as the backup and, um, Koskinen has a limited, no move or no trade or no movement clause. So he's got a list of teams. So that's another possibility. But uh, we'll see. Islanders acquire forwards Kyle Palmieri and Travis Achak from Devils in exchange for forwards A.J. Greer and Mason Jobst, J-O-B-S-T, a first-round pick in the 2021 draft and a fourth-round pick in the 2022 draft. So a basket of picks and prospects, let's say. Mason Jobst is... 27 years old. Okay, not and a he's, prospect. He's not a prospect. I don't know. That's some kind. And who's that's the other a guy? Roster a- balance. Uh, AJ Greer. Yeah, that's just opening up a roster spot there, Bruce. That's exactly what that is. And AJ, I don't have uh, Greer. G R E E R. G R E E R. Oh, okay, yeah. there we go. Like the football player Terry Greer. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he the great wide receiver for the Toronto Argonauts. I remember Roosevelt Greer, Rosie Greer, Mike, Rosie Mike Greer. Greer's uncle. Like Rosie Greer, is he Mike. in Brian's song? Brian, is he in the movie Brian's song, a character? Uh, very possibly. Uh, AJ Greer is another career minor leaguer. So it's it, it's just the first pick for two pretty good players. Just making room on the 50-man list. Yeah, so so that's a pretty good pretty good value. Uh, you know they're both rentals, so but those are pretty good rentals for you know, like to get two of those guys isn't bad, not bad at all. Uh, of course, Paul is in the slump this year, as I mentioned, so we'll maybe maybe uh, that won't work out. Maybe it will. All right, Bruce. So we got a game tomorrow night too. We do tomorrow night as opposed to tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow evening, shall we say, five o'clock Mountain Time, sort of more normal starting time. Okay, great. Against the Sens, and then Saturday night in Calgary, bonus kind of game. So. All righty. And then we'll find out what's happening uh, the coming week. The two games against Vancouver, are they officially canceled? I believe they are. Or they're not? They are. I don't, think, I don't think they are, but I also don't think there's any chance they go ahead. I think they're just waiting to get more news before they take any more. It, it was weird. Their uh, chief medical officer said yesterday that the, they, that the cases weren't variant cases. As I understand it, and now um, the Canucks are saying that they that they are. I think twenty-one players and four coaches. Wowzer! Pretty Wowzer. close to the whole team. So what we're gonna do? Uh, there's the trade deadline on Monday. So if the Oilers aren't playing next week, I, I suspect that they'll 
they'll have some game move there. But there's a lot of Bakersfield games, Bruce, so I'm intending yeah. to watch those, and uh, yeah. I'll be uh, reporting on those and maybe doing a podcast on them as well. Well, it's going on there now with uh, with uh, a lot of players that have turned up there. You know, uh, Kesselring came there uh, from Europe. Uh, uh, Kemp and Lavoie came there. Uh, they've got Ostep Safin playing games for them now. And uh, they've got uh, Ryan McLeod, who's a player of extreme interest at this point. 22 yeah. games, 11 goals, 11 assists, 22 points, plus 17. And most of it at even strength or shorthanded because he's, you know, I don't think he's a big part of the power play. So he's a player to watch. Oh, he, I think he plays the power play. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's out there. He's the net front guy, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, right. He's not getting points on the power play then. Oh, I, and I, how I heard it. Okay. 22 points in 22 games. Not bad for uh, Ryan McLeod. If he comes to the NHL this year, I definitely see him as a winger. Uh, from what I've seen of the player. So, um, but there's a spot in the top six. I mean, if he can, if he can, it's to get more points than Nugent Hopkins and Puliyarvi or Cahoon and Yamamoto are getting uh, in the top six is not, um, it's not an impossibility to put it <laughs> mildly. Yamamoto's at the top and he's, he's like his points per 60 is about half of what it was last year, the rate. And he's and Cahoon's lower than Cahoon's right around where Pulley and R and H are. They're just not getting it done, those guys right now in terms of uh, cashing in on scoring chances or getting enough scoring chances. Cahoon's uh, second or third on the team in goals per sixty at even strength, but not in points. Yeah, I don't mind him. I just um, I, I think he's a he's an okay player, but he's he's not. He just hasn't had that. There hasn't been enough scoring plays, right? Uh, so far this year uh, to justify him maybe getting another contract. And uh, I think it's, that's why I'm pushing for a trade. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there for tonight. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. And I want to, again, thank you, Bruce, for tonight's conversation. Indeed. I always enjoy talking about wins, especially. <laughs>